America is more religious now than it's ever been. Religion is junk. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Do we understand this? God wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want religion. He had to come to destroy a lot of religion in the books that we've been going through already, okay? So when I say America is more religious than ever, there's a little bit of hope because at least there's a belief that there's a higher existence. But the problem is we're worshiping the wrong thing or many of the wrong things we could say. So when we look at this stat that 3.5% of, of America are atheists, and that's the that's it. That's the lowest percentage in, in recent history. It's great. But then you got to ask some questions then. What in the world are people worshiping? Which God, everything's the problem, that's right. Which God is their God? They think, yeah, but there's only one God. Yeah, there's only one true God. But let's be honest, we make a lot of gods. Right? So when we look at things like this, like, like questions of, of is there a God may not be the big question anymore, but, but maybe the question now is which God? How to worship God? See, we've even taken the God and corrupted him and made him our own thing. Right? We have, whether we want to admit that or not. All right. So, so we look at, and, and here's maybe some of the theories that you guys have seen to, to kind of show that the, the world is getting closer on the same page. We now have theories like mountain theology. Now that's probably one of the older ones. So I'm sure all of you have heard of mountain theology, right? You go up one side of the mountain. I'll go up the other. It doesn't matter our path or anything else. We're all going to reach the same top at the end. Is that not a theory we have? Go to a funeral. Everybody's going to heaven, right? I, I'm just telling things that prove. Exactly what we think. Or, or how about this one? Many today suspect there's a, a little bit of truth in all religions. I actually heard somebody this week use this phrase. Now, this this one, y'all know sometimes I'm good with a straight face. I was not good with a straight face on this one, just to be honest. She told me she was 60% Christian. I'm not going to lie, that intrigued me a little bit. So I had to ask, well, if you're 60% Christian, what's the other 40%? And she proceeded to tell me about different ideas that she's grabbing from different religions to make up her 100 percent. And that's the problem. See, that's the problem for even a lot of people sitting in churches. We take the word, but we only take percents of the word. I mean, we'll look at chapter 17 and we'll be like, oh, that's some good stuff. But we'll only use about four verses of chapter 17. We won't even look at the rest of them because we don't like them. Right. You grab what you like. It's like we treat God like he's a buffet. Like he's the waiter at the restaurant. We just pick what we want, order what we want, take what we want, and leave the rest there for him to clean up at the end. That's the way it works. Right? And if that's the way our world has gotten, if you hadn't figured it out from the book of Kings, that's the problem going on in the beginning right here of Israel is their nations have divided. They're, they're, they're no longer monotheistic. They, they got many, many gods and many, many options. And, and, and I think about this and I was reading about this and I was like, man, this is exactly where we are as a country. There are so many options, even leaders of countries promoting other options as far as in religion. And we need some Elijah's that are going to stand up and say enough is enough. This is the true word of God. We don't get to deviate from it. We don't get to pick what we want from it. We don't get to say what we like and don't like of it. This is it. It's his way or the highway. And, and I really think as I, as I think about this and, and Elijah and everything going on, I think not only did God raise up some characters, he's going to have Elijah and Elijah. Shuh. Right. So y'all keep that in your heads as we get closer to those. You know, I'm going to mess those names up a whole lot, at least intertwine them. Right. So, so as we as we go through this, though, here's the thing. I think God wants to raise up some Elijah's today. I really do. Whether it's in your home, your workplace, your family, uh, just your group of friends, maybe in the church. I think he's wanting to raise some up. And, he, and here's the here's the context that got him so far off. And we kind of know this, but this is 
more of a review if you're just now joining and checking out online or anything. The hist- history of this thing. So, yeah, Israel was founded to be monotheistic. One guy, but something happened a couple chapters ago for us and the Civil War splits them up. You got the north, you got the south, you got the northern kingdom being um, Israel, you got the southern kingdom being Judah. And the northern kingdom has a succession of ungodly evil kings, 19 of them in a row to be exact. For 200 years, they're on a downward spiral until we get to that last verse we looked at at the end of 16, where it says this guy Ahab did more evil than all those before him. So much so that when you read about him in Chronicles and his, his, his hot little wife Jezebel and, and the corruption they got going on, and I don't mean hot as in good looking, I mean hot as in she may be from somewhere else, um, you know, kind of thing going on. When, when you get, you read about them and you see the evil they did, they not only believe bad things, they forced others to believe them and they look for ways. Scripture has a verse that says it this way. They actually look for ways to do more evil. How evil do you have to be where you're looking for ways to be more evil? She's setting up temples. She's bringing all her gods with her, you know, her deities and, and all this other stuff. They get so dark, guys. I don't know if we caught it at the end of 16 when I, when I believe it. They get so dark that there's child sacrifice going on. I mean, this is an evil, evil time. Are we starting to sound more like America or more like the northern kingdom of Israel? Oh, maybe there's more going on than just this. So after a few years, this this lady Jezebel, when you read about this in Chronicles, not just in Kings, you find out that, that she gets all the power. Sure, she's married to the king, but she's got so much power that it, it talks about her slaughtering hundreds of prophets and priests. We don't even really know how many. Some people estimate thousands just so that she can promote her own and get her own in this place. Right. Now, now here's the problem. And, and hear me right now. In the most unsexist way, I can say this. This is what happens when we got weak men in leadership. You hear me? This is what happens when weak men get in leadership. This is what happens when you're weak in your home, men. Fathers. Right? Soon to be fathers. The bar just got raised for you, brother. And it should be. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Right? This is what happens, though, when we don't do things God's way. So so you get into this thing. And just just a side note, because many of you may be like me. How many of y'all thought like Baal was one God growing up? Like you were in church, you read Baal this, and you thought it was like, you realize Baal's just like a generic term for their God? So it's no different. Here's the bad part. I'm really bad at this, but I've been really trying to get my mind to work on it a little bit better. But you know, when you've done something for 30-something years the wrong way, it's hard to get it back the right way, right? But part of that is just admitting you've been doing it the wrong way for so long. So I got one step done, right? It's almost like when we just use the word God rather than using his name. Like, well, I thought God was his name. No, God's just a, a title. It's a deity. Now, now, there's many things that scripture calls him. And you go into how to pronounce Yahweh and Yehovah and, and all this other stuff. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't really get Well, he also calls himself Lord. Or my personal favorite, just because I'm dumb and I can't really pronounce a lot of hard words, Abba Father. Right? So you ain't, you ain't got to be like a rocket scientist. My dad's name is Pace, but you don't ever hear it. Hey, Pace. Mainly because he might slap me and that'd be kind of scary, right? So I just say, hey, dad. Why can't we talk to God that way? Then? And, and that's the same thing they're getting in. That's what I want you to say. So they got all these mini bales, not bales of hay, but bales is in God's right. They, they got they got all that going on. So, and here's the main things they did. And all the cultures you look at, all the places, they, they, they were the gods of fertility, the gods of medicine, the gods of harvest, the god of success, um, the god that controlled nature, and, and so much so that when when other 
areas, regions began to fight. So you got the Baal of the Philistines, the Baal of the uh, Sidonians and all this kind of stuff. And whoever won, then they, they agreed that, oh, your Baal is better. But you notice that all these Baals are to get something. Right? Notice that all of them that they were, so it was to get something. You got a fertility guy because you want to get a baby. You got a nature guy because you need rain. Uh, you know, so you got all this stuff going on. And I love it because as we, we look at this and understand this, this view that they had of their Baals, how corrupt Ahab's gotten. And then verse one, you get Elijah coming on the scene. And Elijah's sole existence, guys, is to tell them which God is the real God. Now, he's got a lot of chapters to get there. So that's why I said we kind of got a mini series in the series. And, and, and really up until this point, we've kind of had a lot of little mini series to, to get us here in the book of Kings. But now we've gotten to a view where we got a guy whose sole existence, sole calling is to prove which God is the right God. And God names him somehow. I know it's just a coincidence that he happens to be named Elijah. Elijah. And they go, well, why is that neat? What's what's so cool? Anybody know what Elijah means in Hebrew? Depending on your wording and your spelling, because they do spell it a couple different ways, but all three roll right together. So here, for you note takers, the Lord is God, capital L-O-R-D, by the way. Uh, my God is Jehovah or Yahweh is my God. All three of those would be, be fine, depending on which spelling you kind of get. I like the last one the best, but there is there's two two little mix ups on how they spell it. So anyway, same same idea. The punchline for this guy's life is Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is the one true God. And he just happens to be named what? Yahweh is my God, the one true God. Right? I mean, this is awesome. Now, now, now here we get here and we jump into this thing. And this is, this is going to be many weeks since we're already two, we're going to spend two weeks and 17 at least, right? The primary scene for Elijah's life is 1 Kings 18. Now, some of y'all know that story. You know, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. This is showdown on Mount Carmel. And I only point it out today so that you can, you know, for your notes or whatever, you kind of realize that something you can say about Elijah is this. Everything in his life is either leading to Mount Carmel, it's at Mount Carmel, or it's coming from Mount Carmel. What is your Mount Carmel? Because I believe a lot of stuff in your life is leading you to whatever your Mount Carmel is, or you're at your Mount Carmel, or you're going to be coming from that Mount Carmel. Now, I hope you can come from your Mount Carmel with some victory like Elijah does. Spoiler, right? I hope you can do what needed to be done at Mount Carmel like Elijah does. Spoiler. But none of those happen if you don't go to Mount Carmel the right way. So it starts with leading to Mount Carmel, right? So so, so here's this this main guy that's coming in to do this this main thing. And it, we've got to ask some questions. How can I be making a difference like Elijah does? And I, I personally love it because I look at this and and I know how y'all know how powerful mighty God is. Or, or is that just like my viewpoint of God? I only want to make sure because like this next little thing is so small, it won't really make a lot of sense if you don't think God is big and mighty and powerful, right? Because I'm thinking like from me. Now, remember, I got a corrupted mind. We, we've all agreed with that, right? Some of the illustrations I give and, and just the blatant honesty I'll give you sometimes, it's messed up, right? So so in my messed up mind, I'm thinking like if they've gotten this bad, God need to raise up an army and just wipe them out, right? I mean, we had a conversation at a tire shop the other day about going back to the Crusades, Right. I mean, we, just, we just need to do some house cleaning, world cleaning, um, you know, some stuff going on. And that's my viewpoint. But you know what God does? God raises up one guy. He don't raise up an army. He, he don't raise up a large group of people, a militia. He raises up one, one guy. And one guy begins this turnaround, this change, this this mighty display of God's power. So sometimes you think, man, I'm out. You're always going to be outnumbered. If you're representing the kingdom of God, always, always, because God likes to take the small and do the big. He likes to take the mundane and, and do the big stuff. So I think God is looking for like one, maybe one business leader that's going to have some integrity in a corrupted world. Maybe one teenager 
that's going to stand for purity when everything else going around the schools is the opposite of that. Maybe one man that's going to stand up and be the father he's supposed to be so the rest of the world can see that example. Maybe one woman that's going to stay loyal to her husband as she's supposed to be despite whatever he's going through. I think God's looking for a lot of ones. And if a lot of ones would just get right with the Lord, the minis that could become and follow, right? So, so here's the big lesson on Elijah. And somebody's saying, man, we ain't even got to the first verse. That's why we're only doing like eight and a half of them, right? Here's your big thing you see it on, or saw it on the screen as a title at least. How to develop a dependence on God. How to develop a dependence on God. Elijah's got one obstacle, and at least it's only one obstacle that we get, we get awareness of, that's stopping him from being used by God. Now, the first way to be used by God is you got to listen to God. But Elijah must be doing that, right? Man, what is his one obstacle, his one major obstacle? We see it in these verses. Look here, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead Settler said to Ahab, can you imagine this dude, by the way? you got to picture this scene, okay? If you don't picture if you don't do Hollywood justice to this thing, you're not going to get it. This guy from nowhere comes up. Like, we don't know nothing about Elijah up until now, right? We don't get his resume. We hadn't seen like God do some awesome works in him. We don't see that he's a miracle worker. We don't hear him preaching before. Like he's just on the scene, boom, all at once. So we know nothing. Really, you could say Elijah is a nobody, right? And who's the first person we get word that he rolls up in the city and talks to? Who is, don't just say Ahab, but you need to understand who he is, right? Who's Ahab? The king. This dude rolls right up to the king. He don't use the word Baal. He does use the word God, but there's a title before it. And he says, as Yahweh, God of Israel. Now, where's he at? Northern kingdom. Which is called, I just, come on, I gave you the history, guys. Right? You got a Bible, you got a cheat sheet, look at it. Northern kingdom is Israel. Now, we just said Israel had 19 corrupt kings. They've been away from God from all this time. Right now, Baal and and Asher and and a couple others from Jezebel have become the main themes of this area. And this dude rolls on the scene, walks right up to the king's house, knocks on his door, says, yo, to God, Yahweh, God of Israel, lives. What's the king thinking? I mean, really, what, 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 what's going through his mind? I stand before him. Now, now spoiler alert for all of you that love the, the nativity and the Christmas story. I don't think we're going to make it there in December this year, okay? Normally, I do kind of deviate to where your minds and readings may be, but it ain't going to be this year. So maybe that'd be like a summer summer kind of thing, and maybe there'll be some extra lessons hint, hint, hidden hidden along that way, right? But 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 as we look at this, here's what you got to understand. When he says, I stand before him, you realize when Gabriel came, that the angel, when he came before the flock, what did he say? I stand in the presence of God, Yahweh. So, so Gabriel's greatest thing he could say as he comes down was, I'm in the presence of God. What's he say? I, Elijah says, I stand not in the presence of you, Ahab. I don't really care about you. I don't care about your little temple. I don't care about your city. I don't care about all the stuff going on. I stand in the presence of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And there will be no dew, no rain during three years until my command changes it. Now, what did we just say Baal's big thing is? Weather, nature. So now we done, now, now we done, now we done crossed a couple lines. This brother done knocked on the king's door, told the king what's up, and now he's calling out the king's God. 
He says, it wasn't bad enough. I come up into your territory, into your house, talking to you like I want to talk to you. Now I'm going to call out your God who you thought was over the weather. And I'm going to tell him it ain't raining no more. <laughs> Not only that, I, I love I love the addition right here, because this, this just shows you how smart God is and God's people who are working for him. Right. Not only is it not going to rain no more, he says, I'm not even going to let there be no dew on the ground in the mornings. Right? Because you're thinking like a little bit of dew in the morning can at least get the crop started, right? Like it would do something. Elijah says, no, nah, we ain't even going to have no dew on the ground anymore. It's going to be so dry for the next three years. And then there's going to be a big lesson at the end of it. And I don't want to jump into that chapter yet, right? But this, this, I mean, you need to understand how audacious this guy is. And how bold he is rolling up in this. And here's maybe some big lessons. Now, I'm going to use the word prophet because Elijah is a prophet, right? What does prophet really mean? In layman's terms, guys. What's that? One that speaks for God. That's it. We, we, we got like, the, we think like this title is like this. No, a prophet is just somebody who's speaking for God, right? So, so you can say it this way. Here's how I wrote it down. A real prophet don't ask permission to speak. He don't walk in there and say, hey, Ahab, may I have your attention? May I speak with you? Can I get a minute? Can I get your ear? No, he rolls right in and says it like it is. Why? Because you don't need man's approval if you got God's approval to say something. Now, we amen it, but are we speaking like it outside? This is easy to amen it in a group of people who like you, right? But can you do it when you're outside and you're talking to the Ahabs and you're talking to the to the worshipers of all these other guys, right? The Jezebels and everything else that's out there. Here's my first sermon. I wrote this one twice. You're not going to get both of them, right? Right. But just for you note takers, I think the other three points I was going to have are awesome, right? So this is kind of me just wanting to share something, right? Three things you can write down about a real prophet. Real prophets don't ask, they don't guess, and they don't bargain. Right? Think about it now. He don't ask permission to speak. And could you imagine if he'd walk, walked up in there if he was guest? You ever seen like these guys who claim to be prophets that guess? Oh, I'm getting a vibe that you're from. You're from somewhere north. Um, I'm from Florida. Yes, that's what I meant. North of the equator, Florida. Um, and, and I'm getting, you ever watch these guys like the way they guess and the way they try to come up with the crap they come up with? A real prophet don't have to guess. A real prophet runs in there and says it like it is. He doesn't say, I don't think it's going to rain. He says, it ain't raining. It ain't raining and ain't even going to be no dew on the ground. There's no guessing going on. Now you can imagine for the king and for the nation how bad that's going to be. Now we need to understand this, this is real bad. No rain means no crops. No crops means starvation. I mean, people are not going to be happy with your leadership if they're not getting fed. Okay? So as he rolls in there and he gets this thing going, I can imagine that maybe we don't get it, but maybe in between verse 1 and 2, Ahab might have said, hey, how about let's bargain about this thing? Like, how about I give you some money? You can't bargain with a true prophet. You can't buy the Holy Spirit, and you can't buy anointing. Okay? So so, so there's your, your, your three little things. God approved and appointed this voice of Elijah to speak. Against the bales, shaming him, reminding him, hey, you don't control nothing. You don't control nothing, man, right? Death sentence for these people. And I'm thinking, now we just, we did, well, Matt just read, some of y'all read uh, all these verses. I'm thinking in verse one, again, my corrupt mind, we about to have a fight. You know what I'm thinking? Like if you hadn't read the whole thing and you was just picturing the video, like I got a movie of every Bible story, I'm telling you, right? So I, so I got, I'm telling you, man, it's the only way it helps it. So, so I got Elijah rolling up in there. I got Ahab sitting on his little throne, and I got him dropping this mic on him real quick. Right, this is a mic drop moment. There's no doubt about it, right? He says, Yahweh, the God of Israel who lives before him, I stand before him, and there's going to be no dude. There's going to be no rain until I speak it for three years. Boom, mic drop. 
Ahab gets up and he's scared and he's wanting to come at him. And, and Elijah got the word of the Lord. So like they fighting and they duking it out. And Elijah calls his men and, and, and Ahab calls his men. And they got this big game fight going on in the middle. None of that happens. None of it. I can keep giving you my video because it gets awesome, right? Like I got the whole movie in my head, right? But none of it happens because verse two happens. Look at verse two. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Leave here, turn eastward and hide at Cherith where it enters the Jordan. What? No fight? No like getting it on? No like what? Like I, I'm thinking like stuff is about to be great, right? And here, here's your biggest thing. If God's going to do something great through you, God's first got to do something great in you. Because God, God's got to pause right here for this moment with Elijah. And he goes, I've got you ready. Like your faith is there. Like I, for you to get up and speak to the king that way, it shows me that you're ready. But there's still this one thing. Remember I told you there was one thing that we get aware of that, that Elijah might have had a problem with. I think it's one that all of us got a problem with, right? And because that one thing's not ready, we get verse 2 where God says, you know what? You, you need to go. The people ain't going to like you. You need to go hide for your life because they will take you out right now. Now, why didn't the people like him? Did he not dress their way? Did he not look their way? Was he not cool? Did he not have swag? I mean, no, they don't like him for anything. It's not even that they don't like him. They don't like what he had to say. You hear me? There's going to be a lot of people in your life. It's not going to be that they don't like you. It's that they're not going to like what you got to say. At least if you're being honest and speaking truth, which we're called to do. Some people don't like the truth, right? I don't like the truth a lot of times, right? I mean, I just, just call it like it is. Truth hurts sometimes. But it's got some benefit behind it, right? Because a good, good daddy does things a good, good way, even when we don't think it's the good way, right? Here's what, here's what we're going. They don't like him because he's speaking truth. And here, here's what maybe we ought to grab a hold of just this little, this little tidbit right here at the beginning. And we ought to say, people ought to get offended when we speak for the Lord. And if you're not offending nobody, then maybe you're not speaking for the Lord. Because this is an easy world to offend people in right now. And if you're still not offending people, like I, sometimes people wear it as a badge. I didn't offend anybody. If you can't offend somebody today, I don't even have to try anymore to offend somebody, right? Like, it's that easy. But are we offending people for the right stuff? Again, it's not that people don't like us. It's that people don't like what we represent. I, I had to had to roll in to pay a tow bill the other day. And, you know, anyway, car got towed to the shop and all this kind of stuff. And not that all tow truck drivers may be on the other side of the world. But a large majority of tow truck drivers live a certain lifestyle. Was that a fair way to say it? So I roll up in there with all these tow truck drivers sitting there after work, after hours, and they may or may not have been speaking dirty stuff. I walk in just because they know me and everything changes. Right? It's not that they don't like me. It's that they don't like what I represent. When you walk into some room sometimes, y'all realize the evil spirits has got to leave. Like, that's why they don't like you. Like you roll in with the presence of God. And if you represent the presence of God and he's truly inside of you, then all the evil presence got to go. And that's sometimes what it is. So we need to understand this is Elijah. This is why the people don't like him. And our presence sometimes ought to be offending some people. Go back to Bible times, man. The old prophets, they didn't care what they had to say. And they didn't apologize for what they had to say. Some of the times it could have cost them their lives, but they said it. You remember Nathan standing before David? One of the only guys that we know for sure knew about all of David's sins. Could you imagine standing before David, the king, calling him out on adultery, on murder, on, on having like a, a sneaky baby daddy moment? I mean, that's really what was going on, right? Like he, 
he kind of fudged the birth certificate and the marriage date so that he could say like he was he's the one that got her pregnant. Right. I mean, look how corrupt this scene is, but he did it. But see, when you do it to a man of God, that's the difference. When you do it to a man of God, what David say? I am. It took him a little while. But what did he say? I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you calling me out on it. I'm grateful for the change, for, for the openness, for, for, the, for the influence you made in me so that I can get back right with God. Ahab don't have that moment. Okay? Well, the problem, maybe we could say it this way, we got too many candy prophets. We do. We got too many candy spokesmen for God going on. They talk sweet, but they don't deliver any meat. Right? I mean, they're talking great, but they're not delivering anything. So, sometimes I think that the, the, they're giving you, how does Timothy say it? I think Timothy says, itching ears have got something they want to hear. And, and, and false prophets are the ones giving the itching ears what they want to hear. We got too many people wanting, they can be bought. That's the problem to begin with. And when you can buy a prophet, then he ain't really a prophet anymore. Right? When you can buy a spokesman for God, he ain't really a spokesman for God anymore. We got too many of them that can be bought with a price. You can't, let me say a minute ago, you can't buy the Holy Spirit. Right? You, you can't buy an anointing like this. So what's God going to do? Look back at four. He goes to this place, which there's a huge lesson, by the way, that it entered by the Jordan. Let's keep on going. Number four, you're to drink from this brook that I've commanded the and I've commanded the ravens to provide for you here. Y'all better underline here or there or whatever your translation has at the end of four, right? Verse five. So he proceeded to do what the Lord Yahweh commanded. Yahweh, I mean, Elijah left and he lived at this chariot where he enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat. Everybody say and meat. Maybe the main point of the sermon is let you vegetarians know it's okay to eat meat. Every divine meal the Lord brings got some meat in it, right? I'm just kidding. That is not the main point. Please don't write that down. Any note taker that wrote down main point, eat meat. Don't do that, all right? But it is good. We ought to have meat. What's it saying here, man? Here's the easy part for four through six. Do what God says and stay where God says stay. Isn't that easy? To at least to say. It's easy to say. It's easy to look at, right? Here, here's the big picture. Now, now, all through Elijah, what you're going to see, and I should have said this at the beginning, so I, or the intro, I apologize. Uh, through Elijah, what we're going to see is what God's doing in Elijah is what God's doing in the world. So it's almost like, you ever been on Google Maps? And, and like you got the big picture, and then like you zoom in? And you get like this detailed picture. That, that's kind of what's going on. So you got the big picture of the world and then we zoom in and, and get this like this specific view of Elijah and we get the lessons that Elijah's getting. And then we look back, we're like, oh, that's the lessons he's trying to teach the whole, the whole nation. Right? So, so, so that's where we're going. So if we get this with Elijah, then we understand the nation was trying to get this as well. So he, so here's the big thing. Here's what could be Elijah's only big obstacle before he gets used by God, right? Major lesson. The lesson of complete dependence. Complete dependence. Now that's tough, man. It's right. It's easy to say. It's easy to look at. It's easy to know oh, God uses the weak and not the strong and, and all this kind of stuff, right? But Elijah's a man. Do I have any real men? I'm not talking about candy men and I'm not talking about pushover men or weak men. Do I have any real men in the room? <laughs> all right, hold on. Hold on. First thing I got to address. I, I like the woo woo woo, right? First thing I addressed, there was a woman raised her hand. I need to make sure we understand we don't roll that way. Are we good? Huh? <laughs> a real man. What's some things a real man did? Now, see, this is good in the South because we ain't got none of the little northern boys, right? Right? 
Nobody like Ben. Ben's left the Ben's left the north and come to the south, right? He's becoming a real man, right? We got that. Southern guys do it better than northern guys, okay? Both in Judah and in the real world, right? What was it? What's a good man do? Come on, what's a manly thing? Loves God, all right. Trying to sound spiritual. What a what a holy roller. What's he do? Provides. Now, now take that right there, ladies. One thing, if you're looking for a man and he ain't got a job, he ain't going to provide. Stop wasting your time. Everybody understand that? That's just a free lesson for any of you single ladies in the house. All right? He's a provider. What else is a man going to do? Feed his family. That goes with provision. Don't copy. Protector. He going to take care of people, right? Now, you can't take care of people if you ain't taking care of yourself. So, so he's probably a guy that can handle his own, right? What else about a real man? Leader. What else about a real man? Stands up. Here's the thing, guys. You got all, and Elijah's a man. I think he's a real man. You know how tough it is when you're supposed to be the protector and the provider and the one who gets to stand up and make decisions and you get told you ain't doing none of that. You ain't doing none of that because I'm going to take it all away from you and you're going to go to nothing but like this little spot where there's a brook. You don't even get to hang out at the Jordan. You get to hang out at a brook that leads to the Jordan. Right? Like this is not prime time location for this guy right here. To get, to get even more specific, since we don't really speak Hebrew, but I guarantee you Elijah did, right? He, he calls this thing and he gets there and he says, I want you to get there because I want you to depend on me. The guy ain't got no hidden, hidden, hidden agenda in this thing. Like he's working it all out in the very beginning, right? But he, he calls this brook. He says, I want you to go to the brook Cherith or Kareth or however you want to say it, right? Most importantly is what it actually means. What, what does it mean? It means to cut down. Yeah, now you're thinking, oh, well, whoever first made the brook, like they probably had to cut down some trees and, and clean it out. And they said, oh, this is this is the place we cut down. Makes sense, right? Do you want to be the guy who gets told you're going to go hang out at the cut down place for a period of time? Are we connecting it, right? Like he's saying, basically saying this, Elijah, I'm going to take you to this brook and I'm going to cut you down. Like you're still too high right now, so I'm going to chop you a little lower. I'm going to cut off a little bit here. I'm going to shape you a little bit there. Elijah, I'm going to have to do some removing of the strengths inside of you because I don't want you relying on yourself at all. And if you thought the battle going up to the king's house and knocking on his door was something, and if you thought calling out Baal was something, when you get to chapter 18, Elijah, and you got to stand before hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophets from other gods, and you got to go toe-to-toe with them, that's what I'm trying to get you ready for, Elijah. Right? So he's got to cut it all down. And that's what he tells him. He says, I want to teach you to be completely dependent on me, cutting down, chopping off, getting rid of. And here's the big note. I'm going to humble you privately so that I can use you publicly. Guys, some of the, some of the greatest moments, painful moments, but greatest moments overall. Remember, the, the end objective is what we go for, right? Is when you get humiliated privately. Now, I love the fact that as long as as long as you're obedient in the private humbling, God don't have to do the public humbling sometimes. I, I'm serious. Now, you allow me to be serious. If you don't go through with the private humbling, there ain't going to be some public humbling one way or the other. You know, think about David. He. he it, it, it might not have been private with just him and God. At least he had a prophet of God, right? Speaking, speaking for him, but, but he did it in the private. So it never had to come. You know how many people in David's kingdom probably never knew the truth? Not, not they needed to because he handled it privately so that he could get used greatly publicly. This is Elijah. He's getting used. He's getting humbled. He's getting cut down. He's getting, he's getting 
driven and, and shaped just a little bit different privately so that God can use him publicly. Now, when you first look at this thing and you're, if you're, you're from this area, you're thinking, man, like, this is a nowhere. God's got me like sitting by a brook. I don't even know if he got to bring like his tent stuff with him. Like maybe he had to chop down trees and make his own stuff. I don't know. Right. Maybe God told him, bring you a tent because you're going to be sitting outside for a long time. Right. He stays there for 12 to 14 months. So when I say a long time, like understand this is a long time to just be chilling by a brook, hoping some birds drop some meat and bread every day and hoping the brook during a drought keeps bringing forth water. Right. So you got that going on. You got this going. He's probably thinking this is nowhere. And some of our greatest fears come about when we think we're in the middle of a nowhere. But our problem is we got the spelling of nowhere wrong because we don't have God's view of nowhere right. Right. You spell nowhere N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Now, when you get God's view of it, you get a K in front and a W mixed in there. So you get K-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. What's God's view of it? It's not that you are nowhere. It's that God is saying, I know where you are. Right. Understand this, man. That's huge. And that's awesome. Because sometimes we'll get in areas in our life where we don't have a clue and we don't think that God knows what's going on. And God says, man, I know exactly where you are. I know exactly what you're going through. I know the pain, the agony, the, the, the questions running through your head. And I've also got the answer for all of it. Right. He knows where we are and he knows where we got to stay so that the ravens can find us. And notice the ravens only going to find you if you're where you're supposed to be. I told you to underline the word there. Right. Or whatever your translation for what was it? Verse five, verse four at the end of verse four has. What if he went somewhere else? What if he stayed on the other side of the Jordan River? Because like it was closer to his home home territory, right? I want to stay closer to my home turf. You think he'd have got all the provision? No, because God has special places anointed to do special things. How bad would it have been, by the way, if he was on the wrong side and he watched these birds fly over? (laughs) Dropping steaks and a loaf of bread. Every morning and every evening, by the way, right? Like this guy didn't go hungry, none during the drought, right? Next day, drop the rib, right? Drop the slice of bread with some butter on one of them Hawaiian rolls. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a good one, right? He had it going on, right? But you was in the wrong spot. So you didn't get what the Lord was dropping. Church, if we're not in the right spot that God tells us to be, in, we're not going to get what God tells us we can get, Right? In case you think like, oh, that's a cool Old Testament story. No, in the New Testament, it's the same receiving of the Holy Spirit. If they wasn't in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came on down, guess what they wouldn't have got? You want to know why some of you ain't got the Holy Spirit still? Because you ain't been to the right spot. You're not open the right way. You're not, you're not getting it, right? So, so this is where he's at. This is what God is doing. God says the ravens, that supernatural provision, they're not coming where you used to be. They're not coming where you want to be. They're coming where I tell you to be. Verse uh, verse four, what does it say? I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, theoretically, yeah, I think God could have used the ravens to feed him anywhere. Right. And, and, and some people even try to use Sometimes you get in trouble reading stuff online. Right. But I get a kick out of some of it because I, I, I read nothing but the word of the Lord for a long time to make sure I got it. And then I'll read some of the worldly views and I, it makes me laugh. Because one of them this week, just to give you just to give you an idea, one of them this week said, well, ravens are known for picking up meat. And dropping it as they fly to wherever they're going. So all Elijah would have had to have. This is serious people now. All Elijah would have had to have done. Is to make sure he routed where the where the ravens flew. And stay under them. Where they flew and happened to drop meat off. I'm scratching my head. And I'm like you're going to tell me. Rather than believe God did a miracle. 
that a raven happened to fly by every morning and every evening and happened to drop off a piece of meat and a piece of bread. Now, when I studied ravens, because I thought it was great, right? I'm reading, and ravens is, is, is like almost like a vulture, really, right? They don't like no bread. So why the heck he dropped bread when he flew over if it was just a coincidence? Right? Now, you can take it if you want to and call it what you want, because the bigger miracle comes next week anyway, so I really don't care. Right? But I'm just, I'm just giving you what the world tries to point stuff out at. Here we go. Right? I love it, man. Elijah perhaps wanted to be somewhere else preaching, doing anything, fighting him or whatever, but God needed him there. Now, now here's what's real cool. Y'all, y'all know, I, if, you, if you hadn't been here long, I'm big on, on the law of first mention. I, th- I think scripture's real, real good. On the, what that means is this. The first time the Lord uses something is generally how it's going to be used the rest of the time. Y'all understand that? Because some people, you'll read something, and you'll read something later, and you'll be like, well, well which one was he really? Because you can take it here, and it can mean like five different things. Like, what was he really trying to say? Well, maybe he's trying to say all five things, but if you lose it all first mention, right, you get you get a little bit clearer idea. You remember the first time ravens were used? And the ark. Now, think about it. Now, this, this is cool symbolism right here, guys. At least if you meet. Maybe for the rest of you, it ends. If so, just smile and be like, oh, that was cool, yeah. Right, made me feel good. Right? So, so you got the ark, which, which, by the way, the ark lands where? This is free, free sermon right here for you, right? He lands on a mountain. You ever seen a boat on a mountain? How'd the boat get on top of a mountain? Water had to get on top of the mountain, right? So sometimes God will use the flooding waters to raise you to the top of the mountain. Again, that's just a free one for you today. You didn't come for it. It's all right, right? But here's the goal. When he gets to the top of this mountain or, or, or near it, we know that at the exact moment, he opens the, the, the ark the first time, the window, and he sends out the raven. What's the raven come back with? What is it? Steak? Ribs? Olive branch, that, that second. You could almost say nothing. Right? See, none of the above. Nothing. Now, somebody said olive branch, so then he sends out a dove. What's the dove come back with? Just, just real cool free sermon again for you. John the Baptist is like the raven, right? And then comes the Holy Spirit, right? Is the dove not symbolic of the Holy Spirit? So you can look at it that way. So you've got something that's coming and, and something that greater that's coming right after it, right? So the, so the raven is like a prelude to what's coming. Now, if you take that, that there and you apply that to, to this today, right, with this sermon, you got this guy sitting by a brook with nothing, and the ravens are coming dropping something, but remember, what comes after the ravens is supposed to be something greater. Man, what could you imagine? Like, if he's thinking that, he's like, what is coming after this? Right? I don't know. Maybe so. Right? One step at a time, though. Everybody write that down. That's big. One step at a time. I'm serious. Like, you, you come for insight like that. I know you do. Right? So one step at a time. What do I mean? God led Elijah one step at a time. He didn't tell him to go to Kirith until what? He had first been to Ahab's house. Right. And if, if well, you, you got the, the last verse that, that I made uh, Matthew stop in. Right. He didn't tell him to go to Zerophath, the widow, until what? He had first been at Kareth. Right. And he didn't tell him to leave Kareth until the water dried up. Come on, this is easy stuff, guys. You got to follow me. Right. If not, I have to preach longer and y'all be telling me that I preached too long. Although y'all watched all of Avatar, which is like three hours long. You didn't complain or look at your watches any. If you didn't watch that, you probably watched Titanic, which was really long. And I don't know. I just wonder sometimes, like, while we watch our watch. When it comes to godly things, but then when movies, I don't know, maybe that's another sermon at another time. Verse four. Sorry, sorry. 
Verse four, one step at a time, following faith. Verse four, at the end of it. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook that I've commanded the ravens to feed you at there. This is more than protection. This is dependence. Okay. In a season of drought, he had to trust that God was going to keep a brook flowing. All right. He had to accept food from ravens, which were what? Which made them what? Unclean animals. Can you imagine this guy's dilemma now? Right. Sometimes before God can use us, he's first got to break us. And he's got to break every part of us. Right. Sometimes before God can use us, he's got to break us. Sometimes God does this and you can't figure out what he's doing. man. You can't figure out why somebody let you down. You can't figure out, you know, why what was your friend, your, your father, your mother, your spouse, your kids, whatever it was. Something you depended on gets taken away from you, whether it was a talent or an opportunity. Sometimes you're facing the prospect of a future without something in it that you thought would have been there to drive success. Right. God is at work doing all this and you don't know what's going on. And whether you wanted to call on this or not, here's, here's the honest truth behind it. All those things were kind of false idols because you had confidence in them. And anything we place confidence in other than the Father is false confidence, is idol worship, right? He's teaching us to totally depend on him. God's got to do something great in you before he can do something great through you. Now, I don't know exactly how true it is, but, but Tozer, A.W. Tozer, for those of you to do some Bible studies, some old guys, he, he's, got a, he's got a good quote behind it. It says, before God can use a man greatly, he's got to first hurt him deeply. You're like, man, I don't like that. You don't have to like it for it to be true, though. Right. It's almost like some of you guys may have heard me use this one before, but it's just so perfect for today. It's almost like the story of the bird who, who woke up late and was flying uh, south for the winter and was late on his trip. Y'all heard this one? Well, this, this, this bird wakes up. For those of you who have, this guy wakes up, this bird wakes up. and He's flying. We woke up late, you know. He wanted to sleep in last day before he had to take a long journey, migrating down, going to the south. Anyway, he, he messes up and he, he leaves so late that it's so cold outside his wings freeze. Now, you can imagine if you were a bird. I don't know if any of you guys have flown like a bird. But if you're a bird and, you're, and your wings freeze, you're going to crash. So, so this bird has gone from bad to worse because he crashes into snow and he's sitting there. He's literally being frozen to death. All these thoughts running through his head and wondering how bad can it possibly get. And he happened to have landed in a cow field. And this cow come walking on by and drops this big old dump on him. That's that's spiritual word, by the way. Dung. Dung was a spiritual word. I'm sorry. He dropped some dung on him. Well, you can think, man, like it's done gone from bad to worse. How bad can this really get? This is really a horrible moment that's going on in my life. What is going on? But then he realizes something like the dung is kind of warm. Right. Have you ever changed a diaper? You know what I'm talking about. Right. So, so he realizes that. And as, as he realizes that the dung is warm, he realizes that it's thawing him out a little bit. His wings, he can begin to feel the, the movement in him again. And he does like any good bird would do. When you realize something like that's going on, you get excited. So you start singing. I'm just singing. You know, you'll see an elf this time of the year. Elf, I know, comes out, right? Singing, singing. I love singing. I'm just singing. And he's just singing and singing and singing. And that attracts the cat. And you can think that's bad, but the cat just comes by and the cat digs him out. Right? And you're like, oh, that's great. And then the cat eats him. And that's it. That's the end of the story. So if you thought it was like anything great coming, there's nothing great coming. Other than there's a couple of lessons behind this story. Lesson one is not everyone who drops manure on you is the enemy. Let it sink in. I promise you all of it's true. Right? Not everyone who drops manure on you is the enemy. Lesson two, not everyone who digs you out is your friend. And my personal favorite for everybody in the house of the Lord is lesson three. Sometimes you need to keep your chirper shut when you're in manure. All right? Y'all see how God was at work through the bird's life? He just shut up at the end. He made it out all right. 
God's at work in our lives, guys. He's at work in, and he wants us to trust completely in him. And you can say it this way. I thought this was kind of neat. If dependence is the objective, weakness has got to be an advantage. What's the main objective? Get serious. What's the main objective when our relationship with God? What? Depending on him, right? God wants us to depend on him for everything. Y'all, y'all got problems because y'all don't depend on God. I'm being honest with you. I'm saying, I'm, I swear to you, I'm being as blunt and as honest as I can. Y'all got problems because like you depend on your bank account to make life good. You depend on how much work you can put in to make the bank account good. And you had this 401k, which became a 201k and that like really messed you up in life and it was all over, right? No, God wants complete dependence on him and nothing else. And if that's true, if dependence is the objective, then your weakness is actually an advantage. I mean, think about that. That's crazy, right? Elijah's strength would become his greatest enemy possibly. Maybe that's why God goes through all this. Maybe that's for you and I. Your strength becomes your enemy. Why? Or your, your, your weakness. Why? Because you depend on it. You rely more on your strength in that area than God's strength in his area, right? Sometimes God's got to make you weak so that you can find your strength in it. Paul says it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Now, can y'all picture this guy again? I'm picture guy, right? You picture this guy like walking through town boasting about all his weaknesses? I mean, think about it. That's what he's saying. I boast in my weaknesses. He's walking downtown uh, Jehovah, right? It's, it's downtown Jerusalem. And he's chilling. And he, or downtown Corinth. We'll use the city he was actually from. So you people don't have to tell me at the back door that he never made it to the areas I listed. He was in Corinth for sure. All right. So, so he's downtown Corinth. He's walking through the street. He's just singing about that thorn in the flesh. All right. We'll give you everything spiritual. Oh, I'm so grateful. I got the thorn in the flesh. Right. He's just bragging about it. I got a thorn in the flesh to you. I got a thorn in the flesh to you. I ain't never heard nobody boasting about their weaknesses. Right. Could you imagine how weird it'd be if you guys walk out the door boasting about your weaknesses? Everybody's going to make fun of you. And they're also going to make notes so they can know what to use against you later on uh, when, when life gets crazy, right? But what, 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 where's God made you weak right now? At? Not so that you can walk out the door bragging, but so you can realize he's still getting you through it. Is it financially? Is it, is it you're still single when you thought you should be married? Is it he removed an opportunity from you? Is it a skill that you lack? Is it just something unknown right now that you're feeling weak on? You don't know even know what it is and why it is. Where's God made you weak? Sometimes it's your addictions. The many things. Right? Sometimes it's your responses. Like that, that can be a weakness. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, but there's the kingdom of God. I've never wanted to be poor. Right? I mean, think, even, even as, in a church like this, where, where most of us are probably like middle class, it's okay to be middle class, right? Yeah, y'all had it, no amens right there. Either y'all is broke or y'all is rich and y'all not with me. Right? One of the two. I don't know which one it is, but I don't want to be either. I want to be middle class, right? Why? Because middle class got enough to get it done. Right, I got a trade, I got an ability, I can work hard, I can try harder, I can dig deeper. God says, nope, I don't want you middle class, I want you poor class. I want you poor class. Do you realize that if we were to like try to line up at who's the most successful, you know, if we were to just take everybody in the building this morning, line up who's most successful, go to the least successful person, I'd have to walk down that line and tell the first 80% of you, God can still use you, but you're not going to be his first pick. Because what does scripture say? I'm picking the people at the back of the line, right? I, I want those guys to use. Why? Because then it's God's strength and not people's strength. God's treasures are not in our strength, but in our weaknesses. Even with salvation, we have to admit, I can't save myself, right? So, so, so it goes that way. All right. So, so here's the, and you could almost say it this way, opposite theory. I use that one sometimes too. You, you got to be aware of your strength because there are places you'll forget God. That's why I want you to boast in, in that, right? Verse six, back to the ravens bringing meat and bringing bread, right? He's got to get rid of some traditional ideas. We said it before I got off on my tangent. 
right? This meat coming in is coming from a raven, which is an unclean bird, right? Maybe a little lesson here is that God was trying to emphasize for Elijah that the spirit of the law was before the letter of the law. And we'll get more to that in a little bit later because the same thing Jesus walks through, and I hope we've gathered that. Jesus never changed the law. He didn't go against the law or anything, but he knew the spirit of the law ahead of the letter of the law. All right, so so big, big thing there. Verse 7, after a while, the brook dried up. And in case you didn't know why, it says, because there was no rain. Well, great. You just went from bad to, you're like, the, you're now the bird that's in the snow that's frozen and just got a cow dumped on you. Right? Because he just went from bad to worse. The place that he was getting bread and water is now gone. It says, after a, after a while. Yeah, you got to understand key words, right? After a while. Do you understand Elijah had to watch the flow of the brook slow down? Right? For, for a year, maybe a year or two months, right? Can you imagine sitting there every day noticing, oh, there's less water coming. Oh, there's less water coming. And you stay there. This guy's faithful, man. Right? His source of water is gone. It's hard to sit beside a drying brook. There's different kinds of drying up, though. Where have you been dried up? Maybe your popularity dried up because now you're a boring adult. Right? But seriously, think about it, right? Maybe your health is drying up. Maybe your money's drying up. Maybe your friends are drying up. Maybe your family's drying up. Why does God let things dry up? Because he wants to teach us to trust in not only his gifts, but in himself. And that's sometimes a big one for us to grab a hold of. God's not looking for, for our reliance in his gifts. It's in him. And when the river dries up, it's to drive us back to the source. Right? The, 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 the brook is not the source. The brook is the system. Now, some of y'all think when the system's broken and can't get me something that, that God can't. No, God, God don't base his work off the system. God is the source. All right. And he says it because there had been no rain in the land. Now, how many people ever heard a sermon about the consequences of disobedience? If you've been in church any, you should have your hand up. Like, right. It's not every sermon got an example of the consequences of disobedience. You ever heard a sermon on the consequences of obedience? I've been in church my entire, I mean, literally, I was in the belly of my mom when she was baptized. So I'm like extra holy. You know what I'm saying? Like telling you straight up, like she got baptized. I was so bad of a pregnancy, like she had to get saved in the middle of it. Right? You know what I'm saying? So like it was that bad. It was that bad. So I got the extra holy anointing. I ain't no extra holy, but she really did get baptized while I was in there. Right? So, so you got, I've been in church my whole life. I ain't never heard a sermon on the consequences of obedience. Like, even if you were to put that as a title, you know, that's a crappy title. Ain't nobody coming to your church this Sunday. Right? Is that not what's going on? Elijah is being obedient the entire time, right? And the consequences are what? You get to live by a brook for a year, year and a couple months. You know what? That's not enough. I'm going to dry up the brook as well because you stayed there, just like I told you to stay there. Right? Some, some of you guys need to understand, sometimes there's consequences in our obedience. But God's using, he's using all of it, man, right? Right? He's using all of it. And, and notice what Elijah doesn't do. Because what? Go back to the very beginning. You've got to get this. You've got to get this. Little, little mini there, right? At the very beginning, what did he tell Ahab? It's not going to rain for three years because what? I commanded it. Now, we know who really commanded it, right? But what's Elijah saying if you, if you, if you catch it in other areas? He said, well, I prayed for there to be no more, Right? Now, don't you think if you had that ability, if you prayed that and the rain really did stop for three years, don't you think as the brook was drying up, 
there might have been some temptation to do what? Pray it to please rain again. But he doesn't. And this is big now. This is huge. Why? Because he realizes what God wants to do in the big picture is more important than what God wants to do in him. Huge, man. Huge. Right? So he, he doesn't pray that the rain's still going to come. He lets bad go to worse and, and all this stuff. Why? Because he keeps God first. Are you keeping God first in your decisions? Are you keeping God first in your actions? Because God may cause a brook to dry up on you, and it may be for a purpose like this. It's time for you to leave. How long might he have stayed there if it just kept on coming? How long would you have stayed there? No kids bugging you. No work. You just chilling by the water, eating steaks and bread every day. I mean, guy got guy got steak for real for, for I mean for breakfast, right? He's got it going on. Why leave? Right? He's comfortable. Sometimes when you get comfortable, it'll be when God dries up a brook. Right? Because he wants you to leave, because you're not where you're supposed to be, because the season for that area is over. Some of us would have never had the guts to take the step unless the brook dried up. The brook dries up and he commands him, you got to go. You got to go because when the brook dries up, the ravens are also going to go, right? You can even use this as as an illustration, right? You can have meat, but if you don't have water, you can't survive. True? Well, what's the Bible compare itself to? Water. Living water, right? You, you, You drink water that's been sitting for too long, it's stale water, right? It'll make you sick. Nasty. Got a lot of stuff going on inside of it. Some of us sometimes have stayed in, in, in areas where we were comfortable for too long, taking on stale water. And that's the reason we're so sick right now. Some of us, unfortunately, stayed in churches for longer than we should have. You know what I'm saying? Like you wasn't getting fed. It was stale water and you was just getting sicker listening to it. But that's a whole other thing, too. Look back at verse eight. I know I got to wrap it up, right? I'm still good. Five minutes to go. Three more verses. Super easy because we're going to use these next week. Verse 8 and 9. Then the word of Yahweh came to him. You got to love when you broke in and in a broke spot and the word still comes to you, right? Seriously, seriously, got to. Verse 9, what does he tell him? Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. That sucks. And dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, this is a story more for next week, but while we're talking about provision, I got to ask you, especially if you can get yourself back in the mindset of this time. You know what a widow would be worth? Now, notice I'm saying biblical time. So don't think if you're a widow today, you're worthless. OK, because you're not. Matter of fact, God's going to do some great miracles in this later. Right. But but statistically thinking society, societally, I think that's the word we're going to use it. If not societally, society, if, if Webster can make up words, why can't I? Right. Societally thinking in societally thinking. Crystal's really going to yell at me when she hears this one, right? <laughs> She's in the nursery. <laughs> and societally thinking, a widow wouldn't be able to do nothing. She's got no money. She's got no, no, no means of anything else being able to come her way. And not only this, this widow's got a kid. So it's a woman with baggage in the middle of a drought. Stay with me now. You've got to picture this. Elijah runs into this lady. We're going to read it more next week, so I don't want to go into it, but this is like the Cliff Notes version of it. That's how I made it through school, so it's okay to get those, right? So, so you, you get the Cliff Notes version. Elijah comes rolling up. This lady's out there gathering sticks, and he tells her, hey, take me back to your house and make me something to eat and give me something to drink. Get in the kitchen, woman. That was Cliff. That was Cliff, not me. I just repeated it. I just repeated it so people on the camera could hear, right? Now, you got you to gotta be this woman for a minute now. Be this woman. I'm a widow. 
Nobody likes me. Nobody's doing anything for me because we're in a drought. and Everybody's broken. Everybody's hungry. I got a kid back at home. And here's her viewpoint, man. You want to talk about depression? Her viewpoint is this. Things are so bad. I'm going to go home and I'm going to make one more cake. This is what she says. Me and my boy are going to eat that one cake and then we're just going to die. We're going to starve to death. We're going to eat that one cake. We're going to sit in the floor because that's the last thing we got. We got enough to make one cake. And Elijah says, well, that's enough. Enough to make one cake is enough. Because here's what Elijah is basically telling you. He goes, I think, I think that if you believe in my God the way I believe in my God, and you'll take me home and you'll make this cake, I think somehow God's going to take care of us. Now, the story gets way deeper because the woman never runs out of material to make cake. Right? And I don't know if it was a birthday cake or like just a breakfast cake, but take his cake. Right? So it was good either way. Maybe it was just blueberry muffins. But either way, they had something to eat the entire drought. Right? This is awesome. Now, this is awesome for a couple of things before we even get to this widow, which we'll elaborate on more and some more miracles that, that take place. Who else was from Sidon? You got to pay attention more than one week in this church. Got to do it. At least two weeks. You get two weeks, you can answer a lot of questions and be holy. Right? Who else is from Sidon? Starts with J, ends in Bell. Hey, Jezebel, good man. All right? Jezebel's from Sidon. Who's the God of Sidon? Remember, she brought her God with him, so it is Baal. So now this guy, can you imagine Elijah, man? This guy that had to knock on the king's door, tell the king it ain't raining no more, your God sucks, right? He can't do nothing. Then he had to go live by a brook for a year and two months, drinking nothing but, but magical water that was coming down a brook, that was a drought was going on, eating some bread and, and some meat that happened to be falling down. And now he's had to get up because the brook dried up, and he's got to go back to the enemy's territory. And he's also got to use, oh, if she's from Sidon, that also means she's one of the most pagan, unclean outsiders. Huh. Maybe from the very beginning of the Bible, God's been trying to show us that he's about everybody. Huh? Right? Maybe. Just an idea. I don't know. That one's for you. Right? Here's what here's what's really taking place there. So God takes him through this, and God makes him even weaker through this whole thing. Right? The greater, you can say this, for the greater Elijah's need, the greater glory God had to provide. The greater the need, the greater God's glory, right? The greater the need, the more glory God gets in this thing, right? And now, now here, I, I tell you all the time that there's great insight. Here's great insight. Y'all remember when Jesus did all the miracles? Now, I had to go to college for this one, okay? So some of, I, I know some of you, you get it for free, I'll give it to you, right? You know, Jesus did all those miracles. You know what every miracle had in common? Every miracle, no matter what. You ready? Write it down, because it's big. Now, I tell you, I had to go to college for it. Every miracle had to have a problem. <laughs> Somebody would be amazed by it, right? Somebody's thinking that's not great insight, that's common sense. Is it? Is it? Because see, sometimes I think y'all think God like did miracles to prove himself God. Did he really? Because if that was the case, I think he could have looked at the disciples and be like, levitate, brothers. And all of them could have. Right? Walking through the middle of the town and like 12 guys just floating. God could be like, I did that. God's not putting on a magic show. He's solving problems. Do we catch this? Sometimes I don't think we catch it. We like, we like that God's going to do like a magic trick in our life. God's not looking to do a magic trick. God's looking to provide for you in a need. Right? And we need to open our eyes to see that. The greater your weakness, the more chance of God to display his power. 
If, if, the, if dependence on God is the objective, then weakness has got to be an advantage. So you ought to rejoice in your weakness like Scripture says. Now, now this is the end because that, that verse that, 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 that Matt left us off on in the very, in the very middle, what is it? Uh, verse 10, so Elijah got up and went. And then you got to stop. You're like, oh, cliffhanger. That's just so all of you come back next week. Right? That's the whole point. No, that, that's, so, that's so we got a whole other kind of lesson getting ready to progress in the process, pro, progress. I don't know. Another lesson's coming next week. Right? Elijah got up and he went. What would happen if you didn't get up and go? What's going to happen if you don't get up and go? With what God's called you to do, right? Maybe some of you are going through like unexplainable things that are happening in your life and you don't get it. Maybe you're like the bird that just got dumped on. Maybe you didn't realize that God's working on you. Maybe God is just trying to train you to trust and rely on him. Now, maybe because it came on TV the other day and maybe because it's just an awesome clean movie that I can watch from my childhood still with my kids. But you remember the Karate Kid? Everybody, everybody I'm, I'm in a generation still where everybody can watch Karate Kid, right? I'm not talking about the new one now. I'm talking about the old Karate Kid. Daniel LaRusso, Mr. Miyagi. Now, Jackie Chan's the man, but I'm not talking about Jackie Chan. All right, you got it? You remember Daniel LaRusso coming over to Mr. Miyagi's house? And he, and he agreed to do what? I'm going to train you to fight. That's all Daniel Russo cares about, right? I need to be trained so I can fight and defend myself, right? What's the very first thing Mr. Miyagi trains him in? Washing the car. And then after you wash the car, you got to wax the car. Everybody knows the phrase, wax on, wax off. Well, he finishes that and he, he turns out to be an awesome waxer, right? So then he does another job. What's the other job he does? Paint defense, right? So he gets into paint defense. Then I think, and I don't know if it's the old one or the new one, but anyway, he ends up teaching a couple more things. We'll sand in the, sand, well, not sand in the, well, you can sand the car if you're going to paint it, but you sand the floor. <laughs> don't sand the car if you wax it. That'd be bad. Right? You sand the floor. Right? You know, and then you remember they, they, they get to this moment where Daniel Russo is so mad. He said, man, I asked you to train me. Does some of this apply to your, think spiritually, please. Okay. You think in, you think in prayer life with God. I've asked you to train me. I've asked you to use me. I've asked you to make me the best that I can be to handle myself, to do great things, right? And all you've done is made me your servant. That's what he tells Mr. Miyagi. So he gets mad and he says, I quit. I'm out of here. And you remember Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel, son. <laughs> Except for he's like this small and a whole lot tanner than me, right? And, and Daniel's son turns around and Mr. Miyagi goes to punch him and he says, wax the car. And what does he do? He waxes the car. He says, Daniel, son, wax the car. And he punches him again. What does he do? He waxes the car. The other then he says, uh, Daniel, son, paint the fence. And he goes to punch him and he, and he paints the fence, you know, up. He says, Daniel, son, paint the fence. And he, and, he, and he knocks it down the second time. He says, Daniel, son, wax the car. I mean, wax the floor. Man, why is it so hard to do? Right? Or sand the floor. Whatever the heck. You get where I'm going? In the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi used the mundane, tiny things to make him great. Correct? That's a little Asian dude teaching a white guy how to fight. Do you not think a great God of the universe can use the mundane things to teach us to do great things? Am I right? Please, guys, grab a hold of that, man. Pay attention to the mundane things. And if you're lucky, it ain't always going to be this way, okay? So I don't want to leave you no, no false hope when you leave here. If you're lucky, you'll get a Mr. Miyagi moment where he tells you what was going on. Some of you ain't going to get that moment. You better get over it. 
God's just gonna keep on training you until you're bright enough to figure it out on your own. Okay, I'm serious. And the coolest part about all this, man, last two verses, I promise. Well, I take it back. I'm gonna read one from James. Last two verses you got on the screen. All right? Go back to verse one. I think Chris will put them on the screen. If not, you should have your Bibles anyway. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead. That's it. That's all we got about him. You get it? The chapter starts with Elijah, and he's identified how? By where he's from. That's it. Don't read no more into it. That's it. All right? He's identified by where he's from. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you ever, you, Ben, we identify him as a northerner. Right? You move down here, little city slicker, we're going to treat you like that, right? Huh? He's identified as that. Everybody's looking at him now. He's like, oh, yeah. Half of you are just glad that the pastor's speaking on him and nobody else, right? That's it. He's identified by where he's from. Go down to verse 24, last verse of the chapter. This is cool, man. This is real cool. Then the woman said to Elijah, I know that you're a man of God. And Yahweh's word. So, so see, she uses kind of a generic word. We talked about that, right? I know that you're a man of God, quote, unquote, just, just God's, right? And Yahweh's word is in your mouth. So now she lists specifically which God, just in case there's any question what in the world she was talking about. Now how he's identified by whose he is. He came in, identified as where he was from. He's leaving, identified as whose he is. But if you get nothing else this morning, if you didn't get none of the rest, I know you're going to remember the bird story. Okay, great. Wonderful. You'll share that with all your friends and it'll be wonderful. Please get more than that out of this, okay? Get this. Get this. That You can come in identified by where you're from, but you don't have to leave that way. You can leave identified by who you belong to. Because here's how here's how James says it. I told you there'd be one more. Here's how James put it. James chapter 5, 17 through 18. We'll use some more James next week just to show this stuff up, right? It says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That'll make you smile. You're talking about a guy who prayed and rain stopped, who prayed again and rain came, who, who prayed and, and, and called out a king, who sat by a brook where ravens brought him meat, who then went to a lady who like had a magic cabinet that never ran out of making cake material. Uh, he also brought back a dead boy from, from, from death. I guess that's the only place you can bring a dead person back from. Uh, you know, so, so he, he's got a lot of stuff going on, right? A lot of cool stuff. And James says Elijah was a man with a nature like us. We can be like Elijah, right? It goes on to say this. The reason Elijah was special was he he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Scripture not only says that Elijah's got a nature like ours, Scripture tells us how we can be like him. The only thing that made Elijah special is that he prayed fervently. And I'm not talking about just a prayer now, right? No, I'll just pray over it. No, I'm talking about like a real prayer, like a prayer that says, God, I'm going to walk wherever you tell me to walk. And if you tell me to walk up to the king's door, I'm going to walk up to the king's door and I'm going to knock on it. I'm talking about the special kind of provision. This is awesome. Now, the special kind of provision it took. I don't think it's a coincidence by the way. They both happen to be back on the same Sunday. So I think it's a God thing, right? I'm talking about the special provision it takes for a mama and daddy to say, I'm going to do the surgery that's got to be done on my baby's head so that a year later we can celebrate a birthday. I'm talking about the special provision for a mama that says, you know what? I ain't putting no testing stuff up in my baby to pray about it one night and then change your mind the next morning and say, you know what? Go ahead and do it because God gave me peace about doing it. And then she can shout just a couple weeks later about her baby getting better 
and better and better and better and better. Do you see what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a trust in God and his provision to get stuff done. Not not this little little stuff. I'm talking about a real trust in God where I'm going to take the step, whatever it is. If it's to the brook, I'm going to go to the brook. And if you tell me to lead the brook, I'm going to lead the brook. And if you tell me to approach some widow that's from the same city as Jezebel and the worship, the, the, the pagan worship of Baal, I'm going to go there and I'm going to introduce her to you. And then I'm going to do some great work up in her life so that you can get the glory in there, too. Right. Are you willing to take the first step, though? See, if Elijah didn't take the first step, the rest of them wouldn't matter. Let's pray. Because if not, you're going to get the rest of the chapter preached on. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the beginning of this chapter. I thank you for Elijah as a whole. And Lord God, I thank you that you brought him up. In the area of need for a country, Lord God, that had fallen short. It was continuing to fall short. God, I pray this morning as we look at our, our regions, our areas, our families, our churches, our workplaces, a world in hurt and confusion. God, I pray that you're raising up Elijah's right now. They're going to be bold enough to take the first step so that we can take the rest of the steps. God, I pray that you bring forth a chapter 17 in every single one of our lives so that we can have a chapter 18 on the top of Mount Carmel. God, I pray that you bring every person back that's in this room right now and then some to finish out the rest of Elijah's story. God, I pray that you bless every single one of us and open our eyes to see where it is you're stripping things from us so that your strength can shine. Where we're not dependent on you. Where we don't see you. Where maybe, Lord God, we just needed to speak for you. In your great and holy name we pray.